0: So one of the things that I left you with uh, after our first session this morning was two questions that I asked. Who remembers them? Anybody want to read out the first one? First question that was posed that just, as you go through the day, I'd love for you to noodle on it a little bit. That's what I call it, noodling, yeah? Just a noodle on it. Who wants to tell me what that one was? Come on, yes. What's my contribution? What's my contribution? So, how did that go for some of you? How, just out of show of hand, how many of you feel that you you have a you ha, might have something to say about your contribution? Just out of a show of hand. Okay. Yep. Yep. Hold them up high so we can see. All right. Awesome. Awesome. And then the second question that was asked was, "Who wants to share what that was?" Anybody? What is the pain in the world that you identify with? What I mean by that is when you enter into the world, when you go to work tomorrow or the next day, when you are walking the street, there's something that the Lord, our God, has revealed to you about this world, the pain that's in his heart that you have seen and it's, it's just in you now. You can't shake it. It's something that it's, it's there, right? How many in the room just in our time are pretty clear about what is that pain that you're seeing and, you, and it, it, it hurts your heart? It breaks the heart of the Father and it breaks your heart. Yep, awesome, awesome. The reason that I wanted to get us to this place is because part of the journey of living out the story, our story, in the context of God's great story, is that when you understand your contribution, you can lay your contribution on the pain in this world. And that becomes the pathway towards your mission. Does that make sense? So here's the thing about contribution. Earlier I said your contribution is that thing that's in you that God put in you. It's that thing that when you look at it, you kind of go, really? That's my contribution? Or, you know, sometimes you have to have other people say, what, what do you see? Like, tell me what my contribution is because I, I can't see it for myself. Sometimes we have to reach into each other and pull it out and go, here it is. I see it all the time. It's totally you. You, you blow our socks off with this thing. Oh, wow. Um, w- when you understand what your contribution, the next step you have to do is commit to it. And that's where the courage comes in, is to be able to climb up on a chair and say, "This is my contribution. I'm committing to it. Okay, you may say, why is that so important? To commit to a contribution? Well, the reason that that's really important is because we're a family, and God has put us in family. And part of the thing that makes the family work is when everybody knows what each other's contribution is, and that we can receive the contribution from each other. You see, we can say we're in community, or we're family, but if if you never, get, you, you never share your contribution to me, how, how does that make me feel? We're just two people that happen to be in the same room together, right? So your contribution is what, what helps you connect into the community or the family of God. And it requires a commitment to it, that every time you show up, you bring fully that contribution. So community or family is where we place our contribution, right? So here's the, here's the interesting thing. If you don't have a family, you have no place to offer your contribution. So we, we, we need each other to have a place to bring that contribution, If I don't commit to my contribution, I'll never show up with it. So the family is formed by the diligent commitment to the delivery of our contribution. Does that make sense? Now, why is that so important? Well, this morning when we were... When we were going through the God story, I talked to you about the fact that you are sons and daughters. How many of you in the room that resonated with you? Is that good to be reminded of who we are as sons and daughters of the living God? I also talked about the idea that we're heirs of the kingdom of God, we're oaks. Of righteousness put on display for the gods, for God's glory, right? And that we're gardeners in the new creation. We're lovers who steward well our contribution, right? So a little bit about me. My, I'm married to a wonderful woman. Uh, her name is Lori. I have a Lori in my life. I love my Lori. And Lori and I have four children. Now, the thing about Lori, I call Lori my illuminator. Oh, yeah. And the reason that she's an illuminator is when Lori comes into the room. Now, she's, a, she's kind of a quiet, unassuming. She's an introvert. Her favorite thing is a book and a tree and uh, and so when she comes into a room the thing about lori is that she has a way of beginning to just talk to one person and in the process of that conversation she begins to say oh have you thought about or when you said that you know what did did you were you meaning about and And in a moment, it's like a big blinding light comes flying into the room. And she seems to illuminate things in people's lives that they've gone months, maybe years, maybe their entire life, having never seen that thing that God is wanting to illuminate in their life. And that's her contribution. I had a friend... I won't tell you her name, but a really good friend who um, when asked about what is the pain in the world that you look at and you see that God's shown you. And she says, I just I just want to see people set free. I just want to get into that place in her life in their lives and and unlock and set them free. And I said, oh, my gosh, you're Lady Liberty. I've been looking for you. We got some work to do. I was with a friend of mine uh, just before I came here. To uh, We were in Colorado and I hadn't seen him in several years. And uh, I remember when, when we were talking and I was working with him on what, what was the contribution? What's inside of you? And he said, you know what? Growing up as a kid, I always, always, always wanted to be a police officer. And you know, I just, I never got to be a police officer, but there's still this thing inside of me that wants to defend people. I want to I come against the opposition that tries to put people down. I want to lift people up and defend their rights. I said, oh my gosh, you're the defender. I had another person that I noticed that every time we were, we would uh, do something, just had some free time, she was always doodling, always drawing, always getting, collecting pieces. Like she would find like boards and nails and like string and, and then all of a sudden out would pop this beautiful thing. And I said, why do you do that? What, what? What, what's the driver inside of you that makes you make these things? And she says, I just love repurposing things. I said, oh, I know you. You're a repurposer. You're the repurposer. When people feel like they got nothing, when they feel like checked out, I failed I'll never be able to be something else. They come into their life and go, "Uh uh-uh. We're going to repurpose things. You've got destiny. You've got purpose on your life. And we're going to repurpose your life for the king and for the kingdom. So those are just some examples of fun ways of thinking about your contribution. You see, I think that if we're called to new creation, if we're called to a journey of going into something new, then maybe we need to find new language. Plus, it's just fun, right? Um, It's time to begin to declare how you want to be. Now, why is that important? As a family committed to your contribution and your fullness of your identity going into the world, all of a sudden, like, I'm a dream stewarder. That's who I am. When I show up in a room, I love figuring out the dreams that God has put in people. And then over time, I even start to engage them about how do we incubate that dream or that idea. I love doing that. But there's times when I go into a room where I'm like, man, this dream that's over there in that guy's heart, I could sure use foundation layer. Oh, and man, I Lady Liberty would be awesome with this guy, because he's stuck. He's like afraid. And we gotta get him unstuck and unafraid. So I need some, I need some Lady Liberty up in that space. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And so what ends up happening is all of a sudden, as the family of God, we start realizing, oh, we can start being deployed by one another into the pain in our world. So I said earlier yesterday or this morning, I keep thinking it's yesterday, it's still today. um, I said this morning that the issue is that we need each other. We cannot do mission as tasks or dutiful assignments that have been placed on us. That's not what mission is. Mission is you being you and showing up every day with your contribution. So I lay that out in front of you uh, tonight as we get started because I want to talk about your story. I want to, And part of understanding our stories is understanding some of these things about us. So unlike this morning when I was laying down foundations and building the arc of the story of God, now we'd start to talk about your story. And this is where we have to start wrestling with some of the things that are robbing us or stealing our identities away from us or provoking us to not act on on the reality of what the Holy Spirit is revealing in us, or even being willing to say, I'm just going to courageously declare this and I'm going to start living into it. The kingdom of God, we started here. We're going to start here again. The kingdom of God is about what? Lovers. Lovers. Lovers who... Steward well the gifts, the talents, the abilities in order to what? To love what God loves. This is, this is the kingdom way, right? So everyone in this room, you're a lover. Lovers love to love. When you've been loved by the Father and you felt His love, you, be, you start to feel lovable, you know? I've been around people that just have not experienced love in their life. And the minute that someone starts to give them that love, all of a sudden they start to wake up. Maybe there's, maybe there's lover in the room. We love, we we need some love, right? Come on now. A little bit of love. We need some love. And so, the kingdom of God being about lovers, one of the most loving acts is to understand our contribution and then freely offer it to others. There's probably no more pure example of mission than that. Like, Can you imagine an entire family that just shows up every day with their contribution and just gives it away freely? You want some of that? Here's some of that. Got some of that. Got some of that. I'm just trying to paint you a picture of how easy living on mission and fulfilling the purposes and the design of God for your life is really. You know, sometimes we, we are reluctant or a little shy to step out with that thing, right? Let's just be honest. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is we want to make sure that it's right, What if I miss God? Going to make sure it's right. And then I want to make sure that I'm good at it. Because I don't want to look silly doing the thing I'm doing. And yet, there's a prophetic call of God on every one of our lives. To take risks. And step out even before we know for sure <laughs> that we can. So here's what I like to say. People work really hard to stay on the, what I call the cutting edge. Okay, so picture a line right here. And that, that right there, that's cutting edge stuff, man. See, everybody wants to be on the cutting edge because that edge looks good. Look at me, I'm on the cutting edge. Everybody aspires to be on the cutting edge. However, there is another edge that I call the tripping edge. And the tripping edge is actually further out. Come here. And this edge is what I call the prophetic edge it's the tripping edge of living prophetically in front of people. So while everybody else in the world, is aspiring to this, to the cutting edge. Those of us who are kingdom people, we've actually said, excuse me, excuse me, I'm going out here uh, on the uh, tripping edge and I'm tripping my, I'm, I, I mean, here's the problem with the tripping edge, right? You don't look good on the tripping edge, right? Um, you're kind of a little bumbling a little bit. You know, you're, you know, you're learning. It's like a little kid learning how to walk for the first time. And you're like, and, and that's the tripping edge. God wants you and I to trust him as a good father to step beyond what everybody else in the world is calling the cutting edge and embrace the tripping edge. So if we're not ready to live out there in the prophetic, it's that place where People are like, what's he doing out there? What, what is she doing? And then all of a sudden, people, you start to get better at it. And then people start going, huh, maybe I'll go out there. And then they're out here watching you. And they're doing it. And now all of a sudden, the tripping edge is the new cutting edge. And then guess what God does? A new prophetic Tripping edge emerges on your life. You see, that's the way that the Father wants to pull us into our story. He wants wants to shape us and grow us and work with us and help us to step into the destiny and the design for our lives. There's a beautiful contribution that the Father has designed and put in you. And when sons and daughters commit, really commit to their contribution, they begin to understand how their story helps to bring heaven to earth. And this, when that happens, when you start realizing, as we prayed this morning, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, that that is actually a prayer that the Lord expects us to actually not just pray it, but physically reach up and pull it down to be the kind of prophetic people who are demonstrating with our lives the glory of God's contribution placed in our life, fully released into the earth every time we walk in the room. (laughs) What would that, I mean, goodness. And then to be able to go, hey, I need some help over here. I got something going on. Could... And to be able to map our entire family at Nava in such a way that we're going, I need a little bit of that. I need some of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one right there. That's what I need. Come here. And we're like, sure, happy to. I'm going to need you later, so hang on, man. Let's go. <laughs> now that is fun living. That's adventure living. That is, that's stripping edge living. Listen, we're so used to the empire over here who who we're trying to protect and preserve and save and manage and live this life that everybody's aspiring to. And the Lord is saying, come with me into the garden that I'm making new creation And experience my kingdom, because you were designed to be kingdom people, oaks of righteousness, gardeners in the garden of God, working the soil, bringing the best of yourself to make good what God intended for us all. Now, a story, your story. Okay, write this down. A story is a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. I'll say it again. A story is a character who wants something and has to overcome conflict to get it. Every good story is built on that outline so in every story you're gonna have to be confronted with answering the question what do you want what do i want i don't know what i want and and that's a problem (laughs) i just want to say it's a little bit of a problem if you're going to live a story Because if you don't know what you want, then you are not ready to step into the story that God wants you to tell that helps fulfill the God story he's already at work doing. So if part of the God story is that he put us in a garden, Eden, and he intended us to expand the boundaries of Eden throughout the whole world, But because we chose to sin and go against his plan, we had to be removed from the garden. An empire took over. And so we started living as though we were empire people, but God was saying all along, no, your identity is you're my sons and my daughters, and I love you, and you are heirs in my kingdom, and I put everything under your feet. You have authority. So I want you to live like kingdom people, And we're going to rebuild the garden because the original design was right. It's just now we're going to rebuild it and we're going to do it. And that's your mission. And so as you go in to do this work, the father is saying, tell me what you want. I mean, how many times, how many fathers are there in the room? Yeah. So this is a common question with my kids anyway. So what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you, it's another way of just saying, what do you want? But the problem is, is that we, we've either been told too many times that, listen, it's not what you want, it's what God wants. Well, I'm here to tell you, God wants what he's already put in you. God wants what you want. So let's talk about, touching on desire because when you when you start to identify the want and you're bold enough to say and write it down this is what I want in the world there's a there's a beautiful story um, in the Bible in Luke where Jesus has risen from the dead and he's on the road he He's moving along. He's in his resurrected body, and he comes across some guys on a walk. You guys know the story. They're on their way to Emmaus. Basically, they're brokenhearted. They had thought that this was the dude that was going to, like, establish the kingdom in the empire. You know, they got a little crazy there. And they didn't understand that, that what Jesus was doing was different than what they had thought it was all about, establishing everything on at that moment. And and so as they were walking and talking in verse 21 of Luke 24, they say, but we had hoped. And it's this pregnant moment where they just said, you know, we had hoped, but all hope is gone. And some of you in this room, you've hoped for something and got got it stolen away. You had hoped that it was going to be this way and life threw a curveball and, and you got knocked off your feet. And, and because of that, you stopped hoping. You, you forgot that you're actually future people, not present people. And you stopped hoping and believing for what God was already prophesying to you was coming. And having our hopes dashed, it can leave us in a very, very tender place. And what that means is that at one time, you had allowed yourself to hope. But here's the thing. I'm going to use a big word and I'm going to bring it down here. But our eschatology has to be rooted in hope. Listen, if we we don't believe at the end of the day there's something to hope for, man, why are we even doing this? Hope is solid ground to build your whole eschatology. So desire is more powerful than you ought to or you should It's it's greater than any kind of inspiration. Just hope. Faith, hope, and love will always remain. Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. If you want to put a smile on the Father's face, just do something that requires some faith. I, I try every day to think about Something I can do that scares the holy heck out of me that's going to require an ounce of faith just so I can look up and go, did you see that, Dad? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, he smiled. I made him smile. Wow. Faith, hope, and love remain. When there were two disciples of John that started to follow Jesus, he turned to them and he said, what are you looking for? John 1, 38. When Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus from the side of the Jericho road, Jesus asked, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do for you? When James and John said to Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, Jesus responded, what is it you want me to do for you? He didn't say, well, that's kind of bold. Who are you to ask me to do what you want me to do? He says, Huh, what do you want me to do? When Jesus approached the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda in John 5, verse 6, He asked him, do you want to be made well? The question, what do you want me to do for you, is actually the question that Jesus asks more frequently in the New Testament than anything else. Over and over and over again, Jesus wants to know, what do you want? Story is a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. What do you want me to do for you? The spiritual journey will deepen as we discover the longings and the desires God has placed within us and that God himself longs to meet There's a passage in Psalm, verse 37, chapter 37, verse 4, that says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you, what? The desires of your heart. Man, Matthew 20, Jesus asked two blind men, what do you want me to do for you? And was moved with compassion. Mark 10, verse 36, Jesus asked James and John, sons of Zebedee, What is it you want me to do for you? In Mark 10, 46 through 52, Jesus asked Bartimaeus, What do you want me to do for you? So here's what I want to ask you to do about this idea of identifying the want. What is it you want? because if we don't have the want, we won't start into our story. When I moved to New Haven, Connecticut in this journey, I I had left my job as a pastor in a very large church and I showed up in New Haven and man, I had moved into the inner city. It was total chaos. I mean, my head was spinning. There were drug addicts and dealers in front of my house. There were prostitutes at every corner. I lived three blocks from the projects, and most of the projects looked like a war zone, and I mean literally a war zone. Windows didn't exist in the building. Kids running naked all around the projects. Gunfire constantly going off. People shot and killed in the streets in my, my neighborhood. The streets that I moved into were run by the Latin kings, one of the most notorious gangs. And actually, they started in my neighborhood. And here I am, Pastor Ken from Dallas, Texas. <laughs> this was before I had my cape. And I'm walking around, friends, and I'm like, I don't know how to show up here. I was this pastor dude that put on a suit and climbed up in a pulpit and the curtain opened. (laughs) Amen, yeah. yeah. And and a curtain opened and there were people out there. And I waxed eloquently. And then everybody left. And if you did a good job, you could hope that they'd come back the next Sunday. And I just was like, this is not, I don't, don't, this can't be what this is about. (laughs) You know, don't you? This can be what it's about. And so I resigned. And I moved my family to this neighborhood. (laughs) I was living in white picket fence, North Dallas, where everybody looked like me. And then I moved where nobody looked like me. And I begin to walk the streets and pray because that's all I need to do. And I heard the Lord begin to ask me some questions. What is it you want here? And I remember saying to him, I, I, want, a, I want a family. I want a community of friends that are committed to the restoration of this neighborhood. And that was the first time I ever, like, heard that word come out of of my mouth. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, this is not right. This is broken. This ain't the kingdom. And I just started wandering around my neighborhood going, I'm looking for my people. And I wanted it to almost be like, we're going to prove that this can be made better as an apologetic as a prophetic act before everybody who lives in the neighborhood. You see what God did here? That's the transformational power of a living God that makes things that are broken renewed and new again. The next thing I heard was him say, you are my son. I was like, that's a good day. And you hear the Lord say, hey, son, or hey, daughter, that's a great day. He said, you're my son, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to steward the dreams of your neighbors. I'm like, huh? <sighs> what? How do you do that? How do you sh- literally steward dreams? And so I didn't know what to do other than I just started literally walking up on people's stoops. <laughs> It was a miracle I wasn't shot. Um and I'd walk up on the on their stoops and I'd say, Hey, I'm I'm Ken and I just moved here from Texas. <laughs> I'd throw a little twang in there. I just moved here from Texas, and uh I'd live down the street there, see, and I'm just curious. I'm out trying to get to know my neighbors, see? And uh I'd like to know, hey, what are you what's your dream? <laughs> I literally did that stuff. <laughs> and uh I learned a lot of things doing that. <laughs> One of the things I learned is everybody has a dream. Now, most people abort their dreams. And the reasons why we give up on our dreams is a whole nother deal. I learned that people would say to me, dude, are you crazy? Look around this neighborhood, man. Nobody dreams here. This is where people, where dreams go to die. Get off my porch. And I learned that the environment that we create is really important because a vibrant community of people who knows their contribution and are willing to share it with others might actually help move people further. Second thing I learned is some people would say, you know, when I grew up, my dad told me I was a pile of you know what, and they didn't edit. And they said, you know, I actually believe that. I mean, look where I'm at. I'm living in this. So don't come up here telling me about dreams. I had other people say, you know what? I tried that dream thing once and I failed so freaking miserably that I'm still recovering and the pain of my failure will never allow me to try again. And still others would say, well, listen man, I ain't got nothing. And the idea of trying to do this by myself is too frightening. And so I'm just going to sit here and drink my Budweiser and smoke my weed. And I'd say, I'll do it with you. <laughs> and they'd say, huh? i say, yeah, man, come on. Get up. Let's go. Let's do this. What is your dream? And I just kept with people. And before long, I had an army. I mean, an army of friends in my neighborhood that were living their contribution and sharing it with each other. And we started to tackle things in the neighborhood that were broken. One of the first things we ever tried to address was in the projects, the kids were really, really sick. And we realized that they're sick because of what they eat. If they ate, they ate maybe once a day. And what they ate was so nasty that it just was making them not have the nutrition to be able to be healthy and vibrant. And so here's the thing about Steward and dreams is once you jump in the hole, you don't know how deep that rabbit hole is going to go. Because the problem is there's systemic problems, and you just keep, oh, take care of that, so, oh, we need a garden to grow fresh fruits and vegetables, because they don't got money to buy fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, schools over there, why don't we ask them if we can teach kids how to grow a garden, and then mom comes out with this zucchini thing, and she's like, I ain't never seen that before, how do you cook that? And so then we started cooking lessons in the project and we started teaching. We had a chef in town that was willing to drive his, his uh, food truck up, and he would do cooking lessons and teach them how to prepare certain kinds of foods that they had never seen before and how to, how to feed their children these fresh fruits and vegetables. And then we discovered all of the undocumented citizens living in our neighborhood And we started to realize that, you know, they don't have access to food stamps and other kinds of things, and they don't have money and able to get fresh fruits and vegetables. So we created a fund that bought boxes of fresh fruits and vegetables, and we started a farmer's market. And we'd have these farmer markets with these boxes ready so that if somebody was undocumented, came up, they could have access to that, which we'd already paid for, and to give them a place of dignity, we talked to the free clinic and we said, if people come in here and they're malnourished or they don't have access to quality food like fruits and vegetables, would you write a prescription? Would you write a prescription and give them a prescription for fresh fruits and vegetables? So that when they showed up at the farmer's market, they could literally walk up and say, I have a prescription for a box of fresh fruits and vegetables. Oh, yes, sir, here you go. <laughs> That's great. And then our undocumented citizens started dying. And they started dying not because of bad food or no money. They were dying because... If you're an undocumented citizen, you don't have the ability to go out and properly earn money and put it in the bank. So where do you do? You work for cash on the side and you put it in your pocket. And in my neighborhood, the Latin kings call that a walking ATM machine. And so they would literally walk up to someone and go and take all their money. And violence in my neighborhood was enormous. And so we formed a thing working with the mayor and the police and city to create what we called a residence card. And a residence card looked like a credit card because it had that little magnetic strip. And in that magnetic strip is a number. And so we got a couple of banks in town that said, as long as they can bring that magnetic number in, we can use that number to help them create an account instead of a social security number. And they started being able to put their money in the bank. And guess what happened to crime? It went down. So that's, that's, I just tell you a little bit, a couple of those. I could go hours telling you stories. About how we remodeled the roads and the streets and put biking trails in and redid the sidewalks so people could walk in the neighborhood without tripping and falling down. And um, just one story after another story of people working together because the family of God bringing just their contribution and working together can do a lot of things. It took five years. Within five years, that neighborhood was completely restored. If I took you there today and drove you through that neighborhood, you'd be like, huh? It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I say that to you because, not because I want to do anything like that. It's because I want you to hear me say, listen, I know it's possible to transform the world. Why? One, because I've been transformed. But because I've seen it with my own eyes. The garden idea, (laughs) the new creation thing we talked about this morning, I've seen it. It's, It's real. It can be done. And if we work together, all, Things are possible. How many of your faith are, is beginning to kind of awaken? So this idea of being able to say to God, this is what I want. I said to the father, I want a community of friends. I had no idea that they'd be, you know, former drug addicts. And, you know, it was a wild bunch. And as we went along doing these things, people were like, how is all this happening? I say, it's the God. It's the God. And they'd say, the God. And I'd say, yeah, the God. The God who wants to make all things new. (laughs) Who's that? (laughs) I'm glad you asked. Come up to my porch and let's have a little talk. I baptized so many of my neighbors in the ocean right off the the sound, the New York sound. Unbelievable. Incredible 10 years in that city. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Just just close your eyes for a minute. I want to ask you some questions. Jesus, what do you want to show each person in here about themselves? As they become more honest about their own desire? Jesus, would you show every single person who is attempting to silence their desire? Father, there are those in this room that are asking the question, am I truly ready for what it is that I'm gonna ask for? Is there something Jesus is asking you to do in order to live what your heart most wants? Is there something Jesus is asking you to do in order to live what your heart most wants? What part of your desire can only Christ fulfill? What part of my desire can only Christ fulfill? And what is my part? You see, God has some beautiful directives for our lives. They can give us some handholds for our lives and our story as it emerges. I call these the three great directives of God's kingdom. Okay? These are great. You're going to love them. Okay, number one, I call this the great commitment. Genesis 1, verse 28, is the great commitment. And this is what it is. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I call it the great commitment because, again, if you're unwilling to commit to your role as an heir in the kingdom of God who God has put all things under your feet and ask you to steward, what's the kingdom? Kingdom is lovers who steward well all that God has given them in order to love what he loves. And rule is not with a fist. Rule is love, serve. Why, do, why is it serve? Because we belong to a servant-hearted king and he is the king who rules the kingdom. And the kingdom, we are its subjects and we are to be imitators of Christ. Him working in his, his life in and through us. So the great commitment. The second one is what I call the great commandment. The great commandment, Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. For this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Guess what it is? Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Kingdom of God is about lovers who steward well in order to love what God loves. The third one is what I call the Great Commission. (laughs) Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. These three great directives are how we live and bring our contribution to lay itself on the pain that the Father is showing us that He wants us to heal. In that, we find our mission. Just making sense? You following me? So every story, right? Story is a character. So every story has to have a character. And guess what? You are that character. This is your story, right? So every story has what we call a protagonist. A protagonist is the leading character in the story. So if it's your story, you are the protagonist because you're the leading character. But there's another definition of a protagonist. Protagonist is the leading character in a story or an advocate Or a champion of a particular cause. Huh. So, when I talk about the pain that you see in the city, what I'm asking you is what is God asking you to advocate for? What's the cause in your story that you're supposed to bring your contribution to bring new creation to the earth? The great commitment and the great commandment and the great commission, it's it's an invitation. There are three invitations to use your contribution to advocate for your cause. So, what do you want? What's the cause that stirs your heart? What's the pain that only you see that breaks your heart? What's the contribution? that gets laid down on top of that pain and begins to live a story. Now, you can choose small stories or you can choose epic stories. Stewarding dream is an epic story. I chose that one because I'm going to spend the rest of my life stewarding dreams. Right now in this room, I'm stewarding your dream. You may not know that, but I am. Because what I'm doing right now is I am I am jingling keys like crazy and trying to see which fits your lock. (laughs) I'm up here jingling keys. Does this one fit? Because that's what dream weavers do. I'm stewarding dreams right now because I'm trying to get you to see who you are. I'm, I'm trying to help you declare this is what I want for the kingdom of God. And I'm willing to give my life to see it realized. I will advocate, I will champion for the rights for this to be resolved. I said earlier this morning that for me, it's alleviating poverty. And poverty is, whoo, it's a big one. Because it's not just about, do you have money in your pocket? It's also about the people that everyone passes by And it just, there's poverty everywhere. And talk about systemic. I'm constantly going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. Now, it also said, if a story is about a character, the protagonist, you, who wants something, I also said, you got to overcome what? Conflict. I wish... I wish I could say there'll be no conflict trying to do the thing the Father has asked you to do. But let's just do this, okay? Let's just all say now, there's going to be conflict, but we're going to be okay. In fact, conflict is what makes us come alive. It really is. It's what wakes us up. Some of us are asleep. You're just going through the motions. And I get it. Sometimes we have to go through the motions because we're in a season. But God wants to take you up and over and into a new place. And you might have to f- f- climb up over and push through because guess what in every story there's an antagonist and that's the one who says i'm not going to let you do that that's the one that says you can't do that oh you think you're gonna do that they're the ones who love they love this statement right hey that's never been done before Man, when you hear someone say, that's never been done. We don't allow that. That is an antagonist. Right? So here's a question I want you to ponder for a minute. Remember how I said this morning, the Lord told me this weekend, he's gonna do some talking. (laughs) And so he's about to talk to you. I'm just letting you know. What happens when you are the antagonist in your own story. In what ways have you been pushing against, pushing away, avoiding the cause, failing to advocate, failing to champion, the very thing that the Father has been saying, come, I'm with you. You are my precious son and my precious daughter. I love you. I've given you all authority. We can do this. Notice I didn't say you can do this. We can do this. Let's put a smile on his face. So, Here is the issue. The antagonist is the person who actively opposes what you want to do. And that is not the role you want to play in your own story. So there's some lies that we've got to overcome in our own life. And I want to make you aware of just a few lies. Listen, guys, I'm not ready. Maybe, maybe someday I'll be ready. But right now, I am not ready. Don't ask me. Again, if we're a family and we know what our contribution, we have to commit to bringing it. That means we're a family, right? We don't say no. We say yes to each other. Not to be something we're not, but to be who we are. That's the beautiful thing about our contribution. You don't have to be something you're not. You just have to be who you are. So we don't don't say, I'm not ready, maybe someday. Instead, we say, well, if mission is the overflow of my life in love with Jesus, I love Jesus, so I'm just going to go for it, and and I'm going to step into it. See, mission is nothing more than the overflow of a life lived in love with Jesus. It's not something you got to go do. It's not something you aren't. It's, It's the outflow of your intimate relationship with the Father. Another lie that we have to overcome is I am just too freaking busy. If I didn't have to work, maybe I could do it. Well, guess what? You can do it at work. In fact, <laughs> that domain might be your domain where you bring the contribution consistently. I could do much more if I, if I wasn't involved and overcommitted. I don't even know how I could even manifest my contribution there. Another lie. I lack the resources I need. If I just had a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I could put that together and make it happen, but I don't. So I have no help to do what God has put in my heart to do. What I have learned, though, is this. When you use your influence or your contribution to help someone else, you will find others to help you do what God has asked you to do. Which comes first, giving or receiving? Yeah, if I don't receive, I have nothing to give. So when you use your influence or your contribution, when you freely just show up and give it away, you'll find others that you've helped, that you've given to, who have now received, who are willing to give back to you. So what pain in the world? I asked that when we started. Let me give you a few just some examples just to get your juices flowing right elimination of poverty breaking the silent the cycle of violence in our world human trafficking education reform environmental restoration Halting the spread of global diseases. Rights for women and children and their role and their role as leaders in this world. Human access to basic needs like housing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I just offer those to you to start. What is it? What is the pain that you identify? All of us in this, in this room has a job, a vocation, a place where you, we said this this morning, place where we use our voice. Our vocation is not what we do, it's who we are. So we show up wherever we're getting, wherever we have a job to bring our voice and our contribution there. And so, Are you called, are you currently working in the arena of business and economics, law and government, science and technology, art and entertainment, media and communication, the family, the church? Where does does your role in, in your vocation land you along with your with your contribution and with the pain that you see in the world. There's a parable in Matthew chapter 25 that I just find fascinating. It's Matthew 25 verses 14 to 30 and just to save time, I'm not going to read it. I just am going to talk about it for a minute. You guys know the story. a Wealthy man goes away but he leaves with one guy five bags of gold. With another one, he leaves two bags of gold, and the last one, he leaves one bag of gold. He goes away, and he comes back, only to discover, one, that the first guy had multiplied the five into ten. Second one had multiplied the two into four, and the last one buried it. And didn't do anything with it. And came back and gave him back his one bag of gold. To that one he said. (laughs) This is something I don't ever want to hear from the Lord. You are wicked. is what the Lord says to this guy. It is wicked to not steward. What God has given you. Now here's the other thing. He said to the guy with five who made it ten he said what well done well done to the guy who had two who turned it into four he didn't he didn't say well that's not bad this guy did ten you should work a little harder he didn't say that at all and in fact what he said was exactly what he said to the first guy well done well done faithful are you There's some things to take away from that. Number one, God gives according to our abilities. God will give you according to your ability. The second thing that we learn is God always settles accounts with us. The third one is that God never measures us against each other. Listen, he doesn't say, Jay, you, know, you should be more like Adam. I want you to be more like Adam. He doesn't do that. He just says, Jay, all you got to do is be Jay. Mm-hmm. Just keep showing up every day. Be Jay, bring your contribution and let's go. Yeah. And so many of us spend so much energy trying to be like others that we lose the idea that we were actually created to be us. And bring our contribution to bear. That's it. Steward well in order to love what God loves. And when we are faithful with a little, more is entrusted to us. What happened to the guy who buried it? His got taken away and given to the other. So in the kingdom of God, stewardship is really, really important. there's some principles from that parable that I always like to talk about. And this is it. You ready? What you understand, you value. So, I've been taking all day <laughs> to systematically lay some things so that you can understand the significant of your significance of your life contribution the story that God is asking you to tell in light of his great story and the end game, which is Eden, new creation. And that our role is not something we got to go do, but we just got to be us and show up and freely give it and steward well so that we can love the things that God loves. So what if you understand that, really understand it, then you will value it enough to do the work To discover what it is you want, what your cause is in this life, and bring your contribution and commit to it so that the family of God can be blessed and can be mobilized to start healing the world. So, what you understand, you value, number one. What you value, you steward or manage well. What you understand, you value. What you value, you steward well or manage well. What you steward well or manage well, you multiply. Okay, start over. Make sure you get this down. This is so important. I mean, this is like... this is like kingdom principles like, blah at the exponential level. What you understand, you value. What you value, you steward well. What you steward well, you multiply. And what you multiply, God gives you authority and responsibility over. God wants to give you authority and responsibility in increasing measure. But we have to be good stewards of what he's already given us. The kingdom of God is about lovers who steward well the gifts, talents, and abilities that God's given you in order to love what God loves. I love that story. I love that story where Jesus raises from the dead. The stone's been rolled away. The women are at the tomb. And what they're told is, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter. I love God knows us. He comes out. He's been probably, he's been in the grave. He's, he's been thinking about, got to get to Peter. He's already checked out and he went right back to fishing. He's out on some boat. Got to get to him. Let him know I'm coming. And then we see in the next story is Peter's out there fishing and somebody on the shore says, "Let down your nets on the other side." And he pulls up 153 fish. It's actually the specific number in the Bible of how many fish were caught that day. And Peter's like, "Wait a minute. This happened before. It's the Lord." And he, like, jumps into the water and swims ashore and jumps into the arms of Jesus. And Jesus has already got some fish there. He's cooking it up for him, and they sit there and they eat. And then what does Jesus do? He says, Peter, do you love me? And what does Peter say? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, well, then feed my sheep. If you love what I love, if you love me, love what I love. Steward and love what God loves. John 17 verse 4. Jesus praying before his for his death, he said, I have brought you glory on earth by what? By accomplishing, yeah, by finishing the work you gave me to do. Talk about stewardship. Talk about multiplication. Talk about authority. Given by God. Listen, it's not that every one of us have some giant thing to accomplish. We just got to finish what God's given us to do. That's good stewardship, that's responsibility, that's how the kingdom of God works. Who's got a Bible? Who are willing to read a passage for me? Anybody? Who will do it? I see that hand. Yes, ma'am. Okay, will you read John 15 really loud? John 15, and would you read verses 9 through 17? See, we often see our mission as a task. But it's not. It's about relationship. And here's something that I've learned. I learned this in the streets of New Haven when I was up against all kinds of crazy. I learned that you can't change what you don't love. It just doesn't work. Because love is the salve, the salve that goes on the wound. And if I can't show up, and I can't self-produce the kind of love that it takes to change the world, that flows out of my relationship with the Father. Private relationship with the Father prepares us for missional relationship with the Father. And relationship is mission. You can just be one heck of an amazing friend at work and be about the mission of God. It really is that simple. Now, here's the problem, though. Once you jump in the hole, you never know how deep it's going to go. But that's the fun. That's the mystery and the merriment and the wonder of falling with Jesus on the tripping edge into the work of the kingdom. Relationship is everything. The Bible says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, though God were making his appeal through us. Protagonists, what are you advocating for? In your story, what are you the champion of? What are you making, letting the Lord make his appeal through you to advocate for the thing that breaks his heart? How many of y'all watched the movie The Lion King? Yeah? Great movie, isn't it? I love that moment when Mufasa is, says to Simba, Mufasa and Simba, he says, Everywhere the light touches... Is our kingdom. Oh, I love that. Everywhere. Remember, I said earlier, its mission is intrinsic to who you are, it's in you. The Bible says you are salt and you are light. And wherever the light of you touches becomes the kingdom of God. You are the salt that prevents the rot in this world. There's only two things in this world that remain. The souls of man and the Word of God. Those are the only two things that are eternal. And I just think we should spend our time and all of our energy investing in the souls of men and women and the word of God. We should pray that God would use our life to connect the word of God to the souls of people. Now, friends, there's, there's reasons why that's important. And just to exhort you and encourage you and speak this over you, I'm going to say, number one, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy to be known. He's worthy to be loved. He's worthy to be obeyed and worshiped by every tribe, people, and nation. In 3 John, verse 7, it says, they went out for His namesake. The Father is longing. This is why. Because the Father's heart is longing. God longs to bring His sons And his daughters into his loving embrace. Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. We go into our work bringing our contribution. Because the spirit of God is moving. There is a worldwide movement of God's spirit. That is extending the family of God more rapidly than ever before. Habakkuk chapter one, verse five says, Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astonished, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told to you. We go bringing our contribution to the world because the harvest is ripe. Around the world today, more people are committing their lives to Jesus than ever in the history. John 4, verse 35 says, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields for they are ready and ripe for harvest. We go because it's our destiny. It's our destiny. God wants to use us as a catalyst for fulfilling the great commission. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. God is ready, beloved. He's ready right now to use your right now life. Not not the life that you got to get prepared. The life... That, oh, well, I'll do that when. He's ready to use your right now life. When the kingdom of God comes near. (laughs) Listen to this one. When the kingdom of God comes near, the word impossible deconstructs. And it's tyranny over you Melts away. I'm telling you, man, when we start living like kingdom people. You stop, you stop thinking about what's impossible. And you start realizing I don't get to do anything. I'm going to strap on my cape and start flying around the room. I'm going to climb up on the chair and I'm going to declare this is who I am. This is what I care about. This is my cause. I want all of y'all to know, if you want to know what I'm going to be up to, just watch. This is me. And if you need any help, you need some of this, let me know. I'll bring it. How many of you are ready to do that tonight? How many of you are ready to stand up and just say, listen, I want all y'all to know, I love you. You're my family. And I just want you to know, this is who I am. This is my contribution. And I'm going to commit to you that I'm going to show up from now on. And I'm going to bring this every time. And the thing that I care about, the cause that I want to be a protagonist in my own story to tackle is this. Because I want, and you can say any of that, or you can say as little as want. But at some point, I want to challenge you to be able to declare, this is what I want. This is my cause that I advocate for. I'm going to be a champion, and I'm going to bring my contribution every time and lay it down on that. And I'm going to see the healing of God. And there might be times when I'm going to tap you and you and oh you to come help me over here because I need a little more help because it's a little heavy lifting. But guess what? I'm willing to come help you too. So just let me know when you need a little bit of this. Doesn't that sound fun? All of a sudden, things that seem to be impossible start to become possible. And the tyranny that impossible has on your life right now can literally be broken off of you in the name of Jesus. Old things passed away. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? It's okay to get a little. Mm. Oh, oh, oh man. I was like that first time. I thought I would go like I'm a dream weaver. What? Oh, I (coughs) dream weaver. What? I store dreams. You what? I steward dreams. You steward what? I steward dreams. Leave me alone. (laughs) It's okay. I got one thing I want to do, and then I want to ask if anybody wants to stand up and declare today to your family something about you. If you got your pins, I want to give you an assignment. How many home church pastors do we have in the room? If you're a home church pastor, stand up. Okay? I want to say something to you. The first thing I want to, I want to say to you is I want to say thank you. Thank you for your leadership. As an oversight leader, I just want to say, I see you and I thank you for your courageous, loving leadership. I thank you for holding and loving the family of God the way you do. And I want to encourage you. I love you and I appreciate you. And I thank you for your stewardship and the way you love what God loves, those people that he's surrounding you with. Well done, well done, well done. Now, I'm gonna give a, I'm gonna give an assignment to everybody, but I want you to hear it because I want you to follow up on it. All right? Okay, sit back down because I want you to write this down. What I care about Write that, what I care about is, and draw a blank line. What I care about is blank. Next line. Therefore, what I will practice is blank line. Let me say it again. Therefore, what I will practice is blank line. Third line, so I can create more blank line. So I can create more blank line. Okay. So what I want everybody to do, this is your homework assignment, okay? What you value, does may remember what goes next? What you, what you value, it well. What you understand, you value. What you value, you stir it well. What you stir it well, you multiply. What you multiply, there you go. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to fill in the blanks. What I care about is more, therefore, what I will practice is so I can create more. I started running experiments in New Haven when I was practicing my contribution. And, uh, and so I thought, okay, what's an experiment I can run? And I thought, okay. I went to my little list and I wrote it down. And I said, what I care about is friendlier neighbors because, <laughs> man, it was violent. It's all craziness, man. And I said, I just want to I want to have people who love each other. I want to find more of that. What I care about is let's get this neighborhood a little loving, more loving. And so so therefore, what I will practice. <laughs> and I said, what I will practice is cooking breakfast <laughs> so I can create more hospitality. That was one of my very, very first things I did. So you know what I did? My neighbor next door, he had this grill, big old metal grill that heated with propane, and I said, can I borrow that? And he said, yeah. So then I went around to my whole neighborhood and I put little nice invitations in the mailbox, inviting everybody on such and such day at 8.30 in the morning, I'm gonna be fixing breakfast in my front yard. And everyone's welcome. Just come. And uh and it got that day. And sure enough, <laughs> I look up, I'm out there, and I've got the grill going, and I'm putting pancake batter on, and I'm making pancakes. And uh all of a sudden I look up and like people are like coming from all directions. And I'm like, uh oh. I don't have enough food. <laughs> and Remember I told you I'd been building this family of friends and they were coming too. And so they saw and they're like, I'll be right back. So all of a sudden people started walking down the street, two gallons of milk, guy with orange juice, some guy with, I got some bacon, got some eggs. Next thing I know, man, I got like about 100 people in my yard spilling into the street, across the other side of the street. Everybody's just sitting there eating pancakes, bacon and eggs and talking and getting to know each other. And it was like, it felt like the kingdom. Like people were getting to know each other. Like, I, have not, who, where do you live? Oh, I live right over there. I've, I've lived here five years. I've never seen you once. Yeah, I don't like coming out. It's too scary. I said, what? Yeah, yeah, it's too scary. So I would run experiments like that. That's something that I could do. Listen, it doesn't have to be big. Just do something, run an experiment where you get to practice doing your contribution and be willing to declare to God and to others, this is what I want, this is what I care about, and I'm willing to do more of this in order to create more of this. And watch what God does. Just watch what he does. I'm telling you, I've done it. I'm not asking you to do something I haven't done. I I do experiments all the time. I purposely put myself in a position to put a smile on the face of Jesus. I love his chuckle. I can hear it. Right now, I can hear him chuckling over there. He just loves that when I do that stuff. When I start experimenting, start experimenting in your neighborhoods. You home church pastors, start inspiring. Run an experiment together, see what happens. When people start in your home church start to say, you know, I'm da da da, I'm da da da, I'm well, what this, I'm bringing this contribution. All of a sudden you're like, hmm, we got a lot of that. Why don't we do some of that on an experiment somewhere? Let's see what happens. And watch, watch God show up. Father, in the name of Jesus, in this room, you have been speaking to us about our contribution, about our story. And it is your ache of your heart for us as your children to enter the story and bring our story to bear and carry forward your mandate of new creation. I pray in Jesus' name for boldness, For confidence in Jesus' name. Now,